0: Hey, Gretton, it's Pastor Rob. Uh, I just wanted to say, if you're listening to this later, this is Father's Day weekend 2020. And I wanted to say happy Father's Day to my dad. I'm so blessed to have, obviously, an incredible heavenly father, but I'm also very blessed to have a wonderful earthly father who has always walked alongside me, always pushed me when I needed pushed, and loved me when I needed loved. And, And I am so, so grateful to have him in my life. When I was 16 years old, I was in the market to buy a car. I had my license and I'd been working for a number of years and had some cash saved up and, and really wanted the capacity to take, go my own places and not have my parents drive me or ask me when I'm going to be back with their car because they had to do, I don't know, silly things like work, right? And so I was in the market to buy a car and I'm sure my mom and dad wanted me to have a car too so I would quit asking them to take, take me to work. And so my dad and I went out and we kind of looked at some different cars and we wanted to stay cheap. Uh, dad said, as long as you buy a cheaper car, we can, you can put more money into it and make it to what you want. And I said, okay, that's great. So my dad was also offering to buy the car himself, put it in his name, um, and then I would pay for all the repairs and all the upkeep and all the development of the car with my own money, my own time, my own energy, and him working alongside me as we did that. And so we had been out looking at a a number of cars, one of which was a mid-70s Mustang. Now, if you were around at that time, you know darn well, (laughs) the mid-70s were not the highlight time for what it meant to be a Mustang. They were not the coolest cars on the planet, but they were still called Mustangs, and (laughs) I had a a, as i grew up where i grew up in high school you know a lot of my friends were very blessed to um, have cars given to them Um, and and some of them were pretty nice they were pretty darn nice cars Uh, hand-me-down volvos and one of my friends had a black pontiac fiero gt which i with t-tops which i thought was totally the coolest little two-seater ever uh, at the time and and so I, i had dreams of that i have dreams of wanting a car like that, knowing that was not gonna happen. I was not gonna get a brand new car, but knowing I was gonna have to put the effort in, knowing I was gonna have to work on what I wanted. But, I, but the idea of owning a Mustang, right, just sounded super cool. And so one night at the dinner table, my dad goes, hey, I finalized everything, I bought the car. And I was like, great, is the Mustang on the way? And he says, I didn't buy the Mustang. And I said, well, why not? He said, well, you know, that car had a lot of mileage on it. It had a lot of things going wrong with it. And so I, I bought you a different car. And it was one of the other cars we had looked at. And I thought I had said, I had said no to that car. But he bought a 72 Volkswagen Super Beetle. And uh, I have to tell you, when, when he said that, when he said, I bought the Beetle, um, I'm not sure I heard the rest of the conversation <laughs> because I was so livid. I was so mad. I had my heart set on that. I had my heart set on that Mustang. And had already had visions of myself driving around in it, right? And hanging out with my friends and working on it and making it go super fast, which likely probably never would have happened to that car. But that's a whole other discussion, right? Reality is sometimes very different from what we dream or what we think will happen. And so I was angry and I was difficult and belligerent and well, honestly, flat nasty, and I don't have a good excuse for that. There's no, there's no version of this story that comes out with Rob smelling like roses here because Rob was wrong, uh, and my dad, I remember at the end of the conversation, him saying, you have a choice, son. This is the car that I'm willing to sign off on and put on my insurance, this car. You can have it or no car at all, and he kind of backed me into a corner, right, and begrudgingly, I said, fine, I'll take that car, and, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't have blamed my dad if he just said, uh, you're out of luck, have a nice day, you are so ungrateful, that wouldn't have, especially as a father now, that would not have even surprised me that he he would have said such a thing and done such a thing, because that's, you know, I was, I was totally ungrateful, but he didn't and and I have to tell you at the end of the day, that car uh that Volkswagen, I still to this day love that car. uh My dad and I put tons of effort into installing a heater system, so I wouldn't have to use a hair dryer to uh, melt the ice in the windshield and, and into a new stereo system and fixing some rust and fixing the shotgun blast in the side and doing engine work on it. And, and I would not trade those moments or those memories or that time in that car for anything because it was certainly unique. It was painted camouflage and had big mud tires and a racing motor in it. And, and I remember outrunning my friend's mom's Volvo one day from the stoplight. I hope my sons aren't listening to this. I remember beating her off the line in a stoplight and thinking, okay, (laughs) that car turned out to be an amazing blessing, but you could not for the life of you have convinced me of that in the moment that it was introduced to me. We are in the fourth and final week of a series here at Gretna called The Quiet Game, Seeking God's Voice When He Seems Silent. And this week I want to take on something I'm going to call the, the translation problem. Because sometimes God is, is desiring or speaking of his desires for us in our lives. What he desires us to be and become and chase and pursue and experience. And he makes the offer repeatedly for us to engage with him, to follow him, to trust him, to grow with him. And there's a, there seems to be a language barrier where we are not able to hear what he's saying because our own voices are too busy screaming in our heads that we are not getting what it is that we really want. We're going to do that through Uh, the eyes of the psalmist in Psalm 73. This is considered to be one of the psalms of Asaph. If we look at Hebrew history, Asaph was considered to be uh, a Levite priest, so part of the priesthood of of God's people, as well as a musician, usually during the time of David and Solomon. That's usually where, where, where he's pegged. And so he's had an opportunity to watch others get that thing they wanted as he's watched David kind of rise to power and rise to status and rise to wealth as he united the people of God together. And the same with Solomon. Solomon was said to be one of the, if not the wisest men that ever lived and maybe one of the richest men that ever lived. And so he's had an opportunity to see these great kings unifying Israel and getting all of the spoils that come with that. And so I think it's important for us to understand as we begin to read this psalm and try to hear his perspective and his laments and his concerns as he he looks around and sees others getting what it is they want and how his heart, his heart in many ways betrays him and how it drives him crazy. Let's listen. Picking up in verse 1 of Psalm 73, I'm going to read out of the CSB. It says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die and their bodies are well fed. They are not in trouble like the others. They are not afflicted like most people. <laughs> that envy if I've ever heard it, right? Envy of what others have or what and what he does not as he seems to be seeking and pursuing. And, and, and again, he's speaking from the beginning as though this is already done, this has already happened, right? But but he's identifying, clearly stating what he was feeling at the time. As he looked around, in my case, it would have been in high school, looking around at other people with cool cars and wondering why I wasn't able to get that car. They were, The people of God here at this time, especially David and Solomon, are getting everything they want, right? They have the money, they have the power, they have the wives, they have everything they want, and yet they are doing things that are totally ungodly. If you know King David's story, you know that he stole another man's wife. You know that he killed that man in order to try and cover it up. You know there were times that he lied and times that he did things that he absolutely should not have ever done. There's no way, no way you could call them godly. In fact, God refuses to allow him, David, to build his temple, to build a temple to the Lord because his ways were entirely too violent that's the reason that god gives for saying nope, your son is your son solomon's going to have to build the temple because i can't have somebody this violent build my temple and so asaph sees that and i i imagine as we see other people who are clearly falling short of god's will for them in their lives and if our hopes if our value of what's good and right is getting those things, is getting wealth and getting prosperity and getting status and getting privilege and getting all of those things. If that's, if that's our goal, it's really hard to see and accept the notion that even in their brokenness, how, how, it is, how is it they are getting these things and how much, as messed up as they are, how much more messed up do I have to be? How much more messed up am I that I can't get these things? Why can't I have it that way? Why can't I have it good? And the problem is if, if we've reduced what it means to have it good, right? To be in a wonderful place, to matters of health and wealth, then we've already gotten to the place where we've begun to slip. As the psalmist says, I nearly slipped and my steps nearly went astray. God is as is, is calling us to, to remember that there are far more important things than pursuing what everybody else has. And honestly, envying what others have it doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. Whether that be the same size house or the or the same size or better car or even a, a prettier church a bigger building cooler stuff nicer clothes greater security a huge retirement account I'm not going to stand here for 1 second and be and say that those things are trivial because I would be a hypocrite if I did but I'm going to tell you they are purely secondary goals to pursuing the things of God and we get into trouble when we make them equal in value with God, or in some cases, greater in value than the pursuit of God himself. And when we fall short, it opens a can of worms. When we fall short, it, open, it opens a can of worms where we begin to doubt who we are in God, whether we are truly beautifully and wonderfully made, whether or not he truly loves us or cares about us. This is my dad when he gave me that Volkswagen instead of the Mustang I was you could have easily convinced me that my dad hated my guts at that moment in time that he did not love me that he did not care about me and yet nothing absolutely nothing could be further from the truth he was making every decision about what I was going to get or not get and do and not do based on his desire to be the best father he could to me to help me grow and to help me learn but I could not see it in the time because I was so focused on those other things. He goes on, the psalmist goes on in verse six to talk about more about the human condition and those who have slipped and fallen and are not walking as God would have them walk. He says this, "'Therefore, pride is their necklace "'and violence covers them like a garment. "'Their eyes bulge out from fatness. "'The imaginations of their hearts run wild. "'They mock and they speak maliciously. "'They arrogantly threaten oppression.'" They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. And therefore, his people, the people of God, turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The people of God stop listening to God himself and start listening to others who are already slipping and already walking away from the things of God because they are so focused on getting that on having that and using that as their barometer for what is good and right and honestly evaluating their own righteousness before God that they begin to turn away from him and towards their flowery language and their wonderful example that they see and in verse 11 he says the wicked say how can god know does the god does the most high know everything it's um difficult thing for us to accept as human beings but oftentimes when we have something when we have a possession or we have freedom or we have uh, really any gift that has been given to us because the truth is everything we have if we are followers of God we truly believe are gifts from God nothing isn't God's it's all his And yet, once we've had something for a while, if we've had a certain level of income for a time that has allowed us to put money in our retirement accounts and have the things we wanted and go on vacation and buy a house and uh, get a new car and do all the things that we want to do, and suddenly that is gone, or not even gone, threatened, we enter this protectionist mode. This this idea of trying to protect ours, what we have. We forget that it was God's to begin with because honestly, we're holding on so tight to it that we do not want to give it up. And the thing is that stands completely in contrast with Christ's teachings. In Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 25, he says, then he says to them all, his disciples, those who are, are saying, we want to follow you, Jesus. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. And here's some of the most difficult words in scripture for for, I think, all of us to handle. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world? and yet forfeits him soul, his, his soul. Yikes. Oh my goodness. As I, I sit here and and I think whoever wants to save his life will lose it. That seems totally in contrast or contrary to my gut level reaction. My gut level reaction to keeping, to having the things that I want to have to living the life that I want to live is to defend it. It's to defend it when there's a threat to it. Defend it when it could be taken away. And there's an irony here in in Jesus saying, look, if you're so busy defending this, defending this, this temporal, temporary thing, because at the end of the day, as much as we do kind of attribute the things to be eternal like this. Houses are not eternal. Cars are not eternal. Possessions are not eternal. They are simply things for a season. Maybe a season in our life, maybe a season in our life, in the next life, or the life of the, those that follow us. But it is just a season. It is just Temporary. And there's an irony in him saying, if you're going to be busy trying to hold on to those things, you're going to lose them all. (laughs) You're going to lose them all anyways because you are gripping so hard. And more importantly, you're going to lose what real life really is. Holding on to the idea that God is reaching out and providing for us based on our holiness and that somehow the gifts that he's been given has given us is our now possessions that are unassailable that cannot be touched or removed is it is reducing the blessings of god to temporary eternally unimportant things And it causes us, as the psalmist says here, to to so diligently try to hang on to it that it even could come at the expense of others, that we would even oppress others to keep it, that we would even deny others to keep it, that we would even speak maliciously and arrogantly. And even the people of God in this text even set their mouths against heaven. And so, you know, I have to ask myself often, if, if I'm angry about something that's going on in the world or angry about one of my freedoms as I see them being threatened, I really have to stop sometimes and ask myself, am I threatened by that? Because it's because of God's desires? Does God want me to be upset about that? Or am I just upset about that because I've I no longer understand and appreciate that everything I do have is God's? And that what I should be holding on to is life in him and the rest will be what it is. He goes on. He says, Look at them in verse 12. He says, look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. It's where envy, envy of what these people have has turned to resentment. It's turned to resentment. Carrie Fisher, you know, Princess Leia, who's now passed away. um, She said this in a statement, she said, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Resentment is just a wasted and misplaced emotion that takes us off target from the things that really matter. And I think that happens when we feel like we, as the psalmist says here in verse 13, did I purify my heart and wash my hands and innocence for nothing? Am I walking with God for nothing? And the truth is, if you are pinning your hopes of health and wealth on the Lord, if you're saying, this is what I want out of you, God, then you did. You did it for nothing because that is not what he wants to provide you. He doesn't want to buy you a Mustang. It's not the car you need. But we don't like that. None of us like to feel like we are making a sacrifice or putting in an effort for nothing. There was an experiment several years ago where uh, a group of men were hired to shovel dirt and they were hired to dig holes on one day and pile the dirt off to the side and come in the next day and fill the holes back in. and then the second And then the third day, they would come back and dig out the holes again. On the fourth day, they would fill the holes back in. And you say, that's useless. That's absolutely silly. Why would you ever do that? Well, it was a social experiment. The idea was this. How many days would, some, would men continue to do this? And how long would they stay at it if they did not see how it was going to directly benefit them? And they were getting paid to do it, by the way. It was not just about the money because they were getting paid pretty well to do it. And what we discovered is that at the end of the day, money is not a driver because as with each day that went on, once the men figured out that they were putting in an effort for no good reason, for no productive purpose, the money didn't matter anymore. And they, they quit. They would just not show up. And within a several days, there was not one person left coming to dig a hole or refill it because it lacked value, it lacked purpose, and lacked meaning. And so the psalmist is sitting here going, you know, if, 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 do do I, has anything I've ever done for you, God, mattered? Because he's still stuck. He's still, in this time frame, he's still stuck in the notion that God is somehow Primarily concerned with him achieving his dreams of wealth and, well, wealth. (laughs) And the reality is that's not what God is focused on at all. God is focused on drawing him closer to the Lord, drawing him closer to his presence, drawing him closer to what it means to know what real life is and real value is and real purpose is and to know that putting in the effort has eternal implications not just this temporary stuff but eternal implications and it is work worth doing but because he can't get him the voices out of his own head screaming at him going why can't i get these things that i want why do the, why does everybody else have them because he can't kill the jealousy and kill the envy and and delete the resentment that's building in him he cannot see and in verse 16, such telling words, it says this, it says, When I tried to understand this, this is before he understood where God was really going. When I tried to understand this, it seemed hopeless. You hear that? It seemed hopeless. It seems like everything I'm doing is pointless. It seems like there's no end to my turmoil. It seems like there's no increase. There's no success. There's no nothing. Well, no. Again, if you're focused on money being your litmus test for success, or you're focused on status or notoriety being your litmus test for success, or how good you look being your litmus test for success, then no, it is hopeless because you're never going to find what you're chasing because that is not the stuff of life. So then he says, When I tried to understand this, it seemed hopeless. And in verse 17, Until, until I entered God's sanctuary, and then I understood their destiny. Destiny. Then it made sense. He says... This in verse 18, he says, Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they became a desolation. They came to an end, swept away by terrors, like one walking from a dream. Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Keeps going. Then I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded. I was st- stupid. And I didn't understand I was an unthinking animal toward you, yet I am always with you and you hold my right hand. You have been there all along walking with me like a father should, right? You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, and so I can tell about all you do. It it echoes the writer of Ecclesiastes, who spends the entire book of Ecclesiastes walking through Just the pointlessness, the hopelessness of pursuing wealth, pursuing knowledge, pursuing riches, pursuing all of these earthly things, these temporary part-time things that ultimately won't even give you happiness or health or joy in this time, let alone eternally. Only to find out at the end that there was nothing new under the sun and that it is God, presence with God, that truly, truly matters. If you are in a place right now where you feel like God's voice is silent, I would, I would ask, as we all should, we should stop ourselves and ask, is it, is it because he's talking and we just don't understand what he's saying because we're so busy trying to get what we want? And he's so busy trying to call us to what we need. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and give you peace.